night. That's why Has it's been first... a good weekend. Yes, good. The demise of the weekend is left to the microphone stand. Is that going to stay? All right. Well, this evening, let's open up our Bibles to two places in the New Testament. The first is I would like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And then the second passage I'm going to have you turn to with me is 2 Timothy chapter 1. So let's first go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I just want to start by reading verse 1, and then after that, I'm going to have us look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. So one more time, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, keep your place there, but turn with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. There, Paul the Apostle, writing to his young protege, Timothy, he said, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. Father, this evening as we spend time talking about the subject of spiritual gifts, I pray that your spirit will guide us in truth and that he will bring clarity. And whatever concerns, whatever fears, um, whatever skepticisms, whatever unbelief might be Inside of us, I pray that your spirit would clear away everything and anything that would stand in the way in the form of distraction and a barrier from not only receiving your truth, but also, Father, we just want to experience your highest best for each one of us. And so, Lord, help us to grow in our faith. Help us to advance forward in our, um, in our confidence in you. And so thanks again, Father, for all the people that you brought this evening. And we are expecting to be edified by your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, those words that we read, pursue love... And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may be that you may prophesy. Now, it's obvious to us in those words that what Paul has in mind here relates to the Christian and spiritual gifts. Christian and spiritual gifts. Now, these words are a part of Paul the Apostle's instructions on the matter of spiritual gifts that are there in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. These are three chapters that are dedicated to this important subject. And the reason why this much time was spent on the topic of spiritual gifts is because God wants us to know and he wants us to understand what he says on the subject of spiritual gifts. In fact, in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul begins the chapter with the words, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The New King James uses the word ignorant. And yet, this one thing that God tells us, I want you to not be ignorant about, we know that there's a whole lot of churches that are uninformed, ignorant about the subject of spiritual gifts. And that's... 
that's led to a lot of confusion. That's led to a lot of abuses. And frankly, that led to a lot of people not even wanting to even consider the subject, let alone experience the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. But guys, that reaction is the wrong one. God wants us to be informed. God wants us to know and understand what he says on the subject of spiritual gifts because it is such an important and practical thing for you and me in not only living out our Christian life, but living out the mission that God has put in front of us to do. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Listen, a right biblical understanding of spiritual gifts should lead you and me to a right biblical practice of them. That's why it's important that we study this subject. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to use 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, as our base camp. And we're going to be camped out here, but we're going to also turn to other places in the Bible to get a better understanding of this doctrine. And so what we're going to do is because we want to understand what God says on this subject, we're going to open up our Bibles and we're going to spend time thinking about the subject. We want God's word to teach us about spiritual gifts. But not only should we open up our Bibles, but listen, we've got to open up our hearts. We have to open up our hearts to God and we have to apply the truth that he teaches us in our time together tonight, all right? So the first thing I want us to consider in, as we talk about the subject of spiritual gifts, as we look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, let's start with those first two opening words. Pursue love. Pursue love. Now, you and me, we understand what the Bible teaches us about love. And that is love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? We see that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Now, the Holy Spirit in the Bible is called the Spirit of Christ. And we need to understand that the list that Paul gives to us, that he labels the fruit of the Holy Spirit, listen, that is the character of Christ. So when we talk about cultivating the fruit of the Spirit, we are really talking about cultivating Christ-likeness. So the Spirit of Christ is actively working in our life, conforming us, as we talked about earlier this afternoon. He's conforming us into the likeness of Jesus, and the character of Jesus is vividly expressed in this list called the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the evidence of the indwelling presence of the Spirit within us. Now, writing on the matter of spiritual gifts, here in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, we see the importance of love in that Paul dedicates an entire chapter to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We commonly refer to it as the love chapter, right? Because from beginning to end, that whole chapter majors on the topic of love. In fact, in verses 4 through 7, just to be clear what Paul means when he uses the word love, he gives to us a description of it. And let me read to you verses 4 through 7 from the New International Version. Paul writes, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love, seek after love, chase after love, this is the love he's talking about. In context, he's talking about the love that was just described in chapter 13. But also we see in this statement, as we look at um, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, that is that the motive and practice of love matters more 
The motive and practice of love matters more than the operation of spiritual gifts in the Christian's life. That is important that you get that. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. Again, I'm going to read from the NIV. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is emphasizing that the motive and practice of love matters more than the operation of spiritual gifts in the Christian's life. We also see the value of love. 1 Corinthians 13, again, it's all in the context of Paul teaching us about spiritual gifts. We see that love is going to outlast spiritual gifts. Again, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13, again from the NIV, love never fails. That's a clear statement. Love never fails. But, regarding now the spiritual gifts, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love will outlast the spiritual gifts. So here's the application with all that we understand about the preeminence of love that Paul emphasizes, that he esteems in 1 Corinthians 13, listen, we see in this statement that before, before Paul writes, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, he tells us to first pursue love. The New Living Translation puts it this way, let love be your highest goal. And the practical application that we see in this is that character always takes precedent over gifting. Character always takes precedent over gifting. Let me put it another way. The fruit of the Spirit is always of greater value than the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is always of greater value than the um, gifts of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is the goal of Christian character. It's Christ-like character. That's the goal, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what, we, that's what we want to see happening in our lives. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are God's means of helping us grow up in Christ. The gifts of the Spirit are God's means to build and develop Christian character. But the end, the goal, the objective is the fruit of the Spirit, Christ-like character. And that means that we should not evaluate a Christian's spiritual maturity by his gifting, but instead by his character. Now, this is something that's lost in the church today. We've become so superficial, we value gifting above character. And we see, we see this in churches, and sadly, in the case where a pastor's character is falling apart, but we're willing to let that slide because he's such a great teacher, because he's such a great preacher. 
That pastor should be removed from his position, but no, let's keep him there. Even though he's committing adultery, even though he's stealing from the church, even though there are serious character flaws, but man, he is such a great speaker, so everything must be right, everything must be okay, right? No, it's not right. But how could God be blessing the people of God through his preaching if his character is falling apart? Listen, God's not blessing his character. God is simply honoring his word. Remember Moses? God said to Moses as the people were thirsty. And God said, I want you to speak to the rock. Strike it one time. And Moses, in his anger, he struck it two times. That was blatant disobedience against God. Question, but did God still refresh the people by causing water to come from the rock? Absolutely. Why? Because God cared enough for those people that were in the desert thirsty. He still refreshed them. He still quenched their thirst. But you know what? God dealt with Moses, didn't he? God didn't let Moses enter into the promised land. Because God had to discipline him for faulty character. And so when Paul says to pursue love, before he even says to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, it's because God takes, because for God, character takes precedent over gifting. Because God does not rejoice over a person who exercises spiritual gift while at the same time making allowances for sin to shape his character. God esteems character above gifting. We have got to get that because the modern church is ignoring that message. And when a person esteems gifting over character, this generally leads to pride. It leads to carnality in and her motive and behavior in the practice of spiritual gifts. Isn't this what was going on in the Corinthian church? You know, during the Q&A, there was a question that, if I remember correctly, it had something to do with the supernatural, with miracles. And, 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 and here's the thing that's so radical in terms of like, I think one of the responses was to the point of how, how, the, how God wants to authenticate the, the miracles that are happening through godly, Christ-exalting character. And I get that. But what's crazy is in Corinth... Supernatural stuff was happening in the midst of a bunch of carnal people. So the the fact of the matter is, the supernatural, the miraculous stuff like tongues and miracles and healings, it can happen even in the presence of a bunch of carnal people. Self-centered, egotistic, it's all about look at me, look at how spiritual I am, forget about my character, but obviously I am more spiritual than you because look at all the gifting I have that you don't have. And that feeds into self-delusionment. I mean, there are guys in the ministry that think everything is okay even though they're living in blatant sin because when they preach, people still get saved on Sundays and the church is still packed out, the parking lot is full, and they're thinking, well, obviously everything must be okay. God must be making allowances. He must be to- making, you know, uh, he's tolerating my activity, so it must not be so bad. Because God is just refreshing the people. But he'll deal with his leaders later. Here's what God says. Pursue love. Pursue love first, then desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. Which brings us up, which brings us to the next statement here in 1 Corinthians 14:1. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, what are spiritual gifts? Well, let me share with you some points that hopefully, in the amount of time that we have, we can give you a good, whole, healthy, general idea of what the Bible teaches on the subject of spiritual gifts. First, here's the definition of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are the supernatural enablement to do ministry like Jesus. Spiritual gifts are the supernatural enablement to do ministry like Jesus. Now, 
in his systematic theology, Wayne Grudem, he defined spiritual gifts this way. And I want you to listen to this. Quote, any ability that is given by and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used in any ministry of the church, any ability given by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be used in any ministry of the church inside the four walls and outside the four walls. It is an enablement where God supernaturally does something through your life, through my life, where ministry needs are being met. Ministry is happening, and it should resemble Jesus. Now, there is a distinction between natural talents and spiritual gifts. Natural talents are giftings that come from God, but they come to us at natural birth. Now, spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities that are given to us when we're born again. Now, when we're born naturally, we have certain talents and abilities and skills. Like some, some people are just born with natural abilities in athletics or they're musicians or artists. But, but others may not have those same kind of talents given to them at their birth. But for every single one of us who are born again, we all have received a spiritual gift that is a supernatural gift from God so that you and I can function as members of the body of Christ. Because God has placed each and every one of us in a specific place in his body. And in order for those members to function with excellence, they have to have the ability to function Consistent with their calling, right? Like, my hand has to function like a hand so it would excel as a hand. But the function of my hand is different than the function of my eye. My eye, because of the placement in my physical body, it has abilities that my hand can't do. My eye can, can, can process, or, or, or it'll... it'll, it'll uh, It'll take in light and it'll recognize shapes and colors and my brain will take all that information and it will process it and it'll give meaning to shapes and to colors. But my hand can't do that and yet my hand can do stuff my eye can't do. And God has each and every one of us in a different place but a specific place in the body of Christ and he has given to us supernatural giftings so that we can excel as members of the body of Christ in that place of his body. But let's get this, spiritual gifts are the means whereby people are enabled by the Holy Spirit to be a part of God's work done by God's power for God's glory. This means to attempt to do the work of the kingdom of God without spiritual gifts. It's pointless and ultimately fruitless. That's why this subject is su such a big one. So that's the definition of it. And you need to know that this is also, number two, a biblical doctrine. The doctrine of spiritual gifts. Now, there are three passages in the New Testament that are primary go-to places when we talk about the subject of the spiritual gifts. The first is Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. So jot down that reference. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That teaches us that the doctrine of spiritual gifts is a biblical one. Another go-to passage dealing with spiritual gifts is where we are right now in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. But write down specifically 1 Corinthians 12, first verses 4 through 11, 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 through 11, and then verses 27 through 30. 
1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11, and then verses 27 through 30. I want you to listen to what Paul tells us here. He says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And then dropping down to chapter 12, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And then the third go-to passage we find the doctrine of spiritual gifts is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. So jot that down. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. And there the apostle Peter writes, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the definition of spiritual gifts, it's the supernatural enabling to do ministry like Jesus. The doctrine of, for spiritual gifts, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and 1 Peter 4. But number three, check out the diversity of spiritual gifts. The diversity of spiritual gifts. Listen, there is a diversity of spiritual gifts with a diversity of functions working within a diversity of ministries. I love that about God. Our God is a creative God. There's nothing boring about him. There's diversity. And we can celebrate that. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. I already read it, but I'm going to read it now from the New Living Translation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6, Now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but it is the same Holy Spirit who is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service in the church, but it is the same Lord we are serving, and there are different ways God works in our lives, but it is the same God who does the work through all of us. Now, it's interesting that regarding the diversity of spiritual gifts, it seems from what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4 that Peter groups these diversity of gifts under, under two general headings, two general categories. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Again, 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So there are diversities of gifts, and Paul gives to us a listing of these gifts, right? He talks about prophecy. Prophecy is the supernatural ability to speak forth God's message to God's people. He talks about ministry. That's the supernatural ability to serve God's people in practical ways. He talks about teaching. That's the supernatural ability to explain the meaning of God's word to others. 
There's exhortation. That's the supernatural ability to encourage others, to stir others to action. There's giving, or as another translation puts it, contribution. He who contributes. This is the supernatural ability to display generosity towards others, that that which is helpful and needful. There's leading, which is the supernatural ability to lead. It's to inspire others to follow. There's mercy, or as another translation puts it, the acts of mercy. This is the supernatural ability to display kindness and compassion toward hurting people. There's the word of wisdom. That's the supernatural ability to speak forth the wisdom of God, especially in important situations in life and ministry. There's the word of knowledge. That's the supernatural ability to declare knowledge which could only be revealed supernaturally. There's faith. That's the supernatural ability to trust God against all odds and circumstances. It's, there's, there's three kinds of faith that the Bible talks about. There's converting faith. That's all the faith that, that we've experienced when we heard the gospel and we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And we receive salvation. We were born again as a result of that. But not only is there converting faith, but there's also continuing faith. This is the faith that you and I exercise on a daily basis, following Jesus day by day by day. We're not those who abandon Christ. We don't give up. We continue following the Lord. But then thirdly, there is charismatic faith. This is a supernatural faith that seems to work in conjunction with gifts like the gifts of healings, the gifts of miracles, where it's not, oh gosh, I really hope if, if I'm going if, if if, 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 if to pray for this person, I, I really, and, and if I'm going to say in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk, I, I really hope God pulls through on this one or I'm going to be super embarrassed. That's not the gift of faith. But this is a supernatural gift that at times, this isn't something that we exercise every day, but there are going to come times where someone might come to you and ask you, hey, will you pray for me? I'm, I'm really hurting in this area. And, but your prayer moves from, Lord, if it's in your will, I know it's in your power, but if it's in your will, um, please touch this person. But then God floods you with this overwhelming confidence that no, God is going to heal that person at that moment. And so your prayers move from, Lord, if you will, I know you can heal him, to in the name of Jesus Christ, you stand up and get out of that wheelchair. Where does that confidence come from? It is a supernatural faith. That's the kind of faith he's talking about. And then he says, gifts, plural, of healings, plural. And this is God's healing power. And I want to point this out because I think this is where we see a lot of the abuse. According to the New Testament, besides Jesus, there is no indication that any one person had the corner market on the gift of healing. But God used different people on different occasions to heal people, but not one person can say, every person I touch, every person I talk to will be healed. That's why the Bible is clear. Language matters in the Bible. That's why it's gifts, plural, of healings, plural. That implies that there are different ways that God will heal people, and God will work that healing power through different people at different times but it may not be the same person all the time. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. Like, none of us would disagree, right, that, that God radically used Paul to heal people. And yet, Epaphroditus is close to death. And Paul says, I just prayed that God would spare his life. Timothy has stomach issues. And Paul says, why don't you take a little wine? It, it'll, help, it'll help settle your stomach. Well, why didn't Paul just heal these guys if he had the corner market on healing? This is why I have a problem with these modern-day healers. 
If these people really do have the gift of healing at their, expo- at their um, disposal, like they claim to have when they're doing these big crusades, guys, they should not be doing these big crusades and having everybody pay money to go see them. If I had the gift of healing, if I had the corner market, you know what I'd be doing? I would be going and visiting every hospital in the world and healing every person in every room. But you don't see them doing that. Because there's no money in that. There's no celebrity status in that. I have a serious problem with people that, that look as, at people that come to their crusades and in their mind, all you hear is the sound of cha-ching. That's why I wanted to point this out because this is one of the reasons why people have such a bad taste about spiritual gifts is because of what they see on TV. And then there's the working of miracles or as another translation puts it, acts of power. And this describes when God chooses to override the laws of nature to perform something supernatural. Miracles will never contradict the laws of nature but it will supersede it. There are the discerning of spirits, which is the supernatural ability to tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and other spirits. There are different kinds of tongues. This is a personal language of praise and prayer that's given by God, and and the believer can communicate with God beyond the limits of knowledge and understanding. It's to build up faith personal faith. There's the interpretation of tongues. This is needed because if tongues is used in public, it's not going to mean anything to other people unless there's an interpretation. And this spiritual gift allows the gift of tongues to be for the benefit of those other than the speaker so that they can hear and agree with the tongue speaker's words to God. Then there's the gift of helps. This is the supernatural ability to assist others. And then there is the gift of administrations. This is the supernatural ability to administrate, especially in the context of the local church. There's a diversity. And these gifts are represented here in this room tonight. Not everybody looks the same. Not everybody's going to function the same way. We may even have the same gifts, but the function might be different. For me, I have the gift of teaching, and where God has me right now is sitting on a stool behind a microphone teaching you. But you, there's other people that have the gift of teaching here, but they may never stand in front of big crowds, but you're teaching people in small group discipleship, and you're teaching people as people come to you with their Bible questions and over a cup of coffee, you're able to explain the meaning of God's word in a way that it brings such clarity and peace to people that they walk away edified. Same gift, but functioning differently. There's diversity in the body of Christ. Number five, check out the demonstration of spiritual gifts. The demonstration of spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul speaks about spiritual gifts as the manifestation of the Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit. Now, that's a great word, manifestation, especially in the context here. Because the word manifestation means a clear indication of the existence or presence or nature of a person, place, or thing. That is the dictionary definition of manifestation. In fact, another dictionary translates it as a shining forth. It's an expression. So here's the point. Paul is saying that spiritual gifts are an expression, a shining forth, not of man's ability, but an expression of the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And remember how we talked about last night that the Christian life is a supernatural life? Well, how does God demonstrate the supernatural nature of this life that you and I have? It's when the Holy Spirit visibly clearly shows up in and through our lives. And one of the clearest ways he shows up in our life is through the spiritual gifts. 
Let me give you some examples. The word of knowledge. The supernatural ability to, to have information about a person, place, or thing that you could not have known unless God had revealed it to you. Gosh, this happened a while back. I'm 45 now, but I was 18 at the time when this happened, and it's still one of the clearest, vivid examples of the word of knowledge that I have. But when I was 18, um, my senior year in high school, we took our class trip to Lake Havasu in Arizona. And this was going to be a few days of just hanging out in the lake and just with our senior class. It was just, just time to relax and just have fun together before we graduated. Well, one of the guys that went with us, my friend Rob, he was the Bible teacher at the high school at the time. At that time, he was early 20s. And one evening, after, as the sun was setting, Rob said to me, hey, go grab your guitar. Let's go out to the water. We'll just, let's go worship the Lord together. So I grabbed my guitar, and we went and sat along the water. And as we were worshiping the Lord, there was a guy that walked by. And without having to say a word, Rob and I just looked at each other, and we knew that the Spirit of God wanted us to go talk to him. And so we got up. We went over to the guy, and we said, hey, excuse us, but do you mind if, if we um, talk to you about Jesus? And the guy told me, hey, yeah, I, that's totally fine. You know what? I'm a Christian too. And then he started telling us about how he's, a, how he's a, 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 um, working in the youth ministry at a, at a particular Calvary chapel that wasn't too far from where we were in Southern California. And I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. I mean, God just connected us with another believer. And maybe the, the Lord moved upon both our hearts to just be encouraged together in fellowship. And, and as I'm just talking, and he's sharing with me about all the ministry that's happening, and I'm listening, I'm thinking, that's so awesome. Rob's just staring at him. And then finally, when there was a break in the conversation, Rob looks at him and said, you're here sleeping with your girlfriend. I look at Rob. I look at the guy. I look at Rob, and the guy says, how did you know? And he said, God just told me. You know what I did? I started confessing all my sins to Jesus. Lord, please forgive me. Just don't tell Rob. That was crazy. And then what ended up happening is he broke, and we ended up spending the rest of the evening just, just praying with him as he just broke. And he, we read out Psalm 51, David's prayer of confession after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And, and, and it was a time of restoration. That was the word of knowledge. But you know what? We all knew God the Holy Spirit was there present. He manifested his presence. He manifested his power, and it led to this guy repenting of his sin. Wow. There was another um, incident. This involved a young uh, high school student, a senior. He was from the Middle East, and he made it through his Christian education at that school. He wasn't a believer, but his parents had put him in a Christian school, and he was about to graduate, and he was just proud of himself that he made it through that senior year without becoming a Christian. And so he was sitting there as after chapel, we gave kids opportunities to come forward to be prayed for, and there was Mary Roberts. Mary Roberts was one of the... Um, the administrators at the school, and as she was praying over the kids, she started praying in tongues. Not loudly, she wasn't making a show, but she was praying in another language. And this young man that was sitting there in the crowd, he perked up because she was praying in fluent Arabic. And this guy understands Arabic because he's from the Middle East. And afterwards, he was so bewildered. He goes, I didn't know Mary understood Arabic. Why was she praying over that kid in Arabic? And the youth pastor looked at him and said, she doesn't know Arabic. No, 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 no. That was like perfect Arabic. Even in, even in the accent, that was perfect Arabic. She doesn't know Arabic. You know what that kid did? Gave his heart to Jesus. 
At that moment, in that supernatural manifestation of the Spirit, God showed up in a way that people were convinced of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. One more example for all those skeptics that say there are no more miracles and healings today. When I was pastoring a church in Oregon, I had taken a group of our college students up to the mountains to go ice skating. Well, actually, it was a retreat, but once we got to the retreat, I'd taken them out to go ice skating one evening. And we were goofing off, you know, just because um, there were high school young people, and so I just started this out-of-control game of tag. And as one of the guys was coming after me, my feet gave way, and I fell on the ice on my face, and I knew something was wrong because I could literally hear bones crunching. I tried to get up, but I had a mild concussion, and so by the time I I, I collapsed back down on the ice, and next thing I knew is I was surrounded by a whole bunch of people, and one of our counselors was trying to help me up, and a nurse had come over and said, this is bad. Because even at the other side of the rink, I could hear bones breaking. you got to get this guy to the doctor ASAP. To, f- to make a long story short, I was taken and I, I went in for an MRI. A mutual friend of ours who was a radiologist, he ended up getting the... F- the, uh, the pictures from my MRI, and, and that night, I, so I'd taken the MRI during the afternoon, and that night I was spending the night at my friend's house, and I get a call from this radiologist. And he said, John, are you in pain? I said, no, I'm not in pain. What had happened is after the impact, my, my face began to bloat up, and I lost complete feeling on the right side of my face. And I said, I don't feel anything. And he said, okay, I looked at your pictures. It's bad. I've scheduled an appointment with, uh, with um, a hospital f- for you to get a CAT scan, but you need to go ASAP tomorrow morning. Oh, and by the way, don't sneeze tonight because you will shoot your eyeball out. Now, when someone tells you not to sneeze, <laughs> so the whole night, I'm just paranoid. I'm going to lose my eyeball. And so the next morning, I go to the hospital they take, a, or they take me in to get my CAT scan, and then now I'm sitting with the radiologist there at the hospital, and he, this time he's got all the pictures laid out for me, and he explains it. I had shattered my orbit. I had cracked my skull all the way to the top. I had cracked it all the way down to where my teeth are, and my nerves were severed, and this whole side of my face was caved in. And so they scheduled an emergency operation for me at Portland, Oregon. The morning I woke up, I received a phone call from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. They had heard and found out what was going on, and, they, and the pastor that called me, he said, Hey, John, we heard. We just want you to know that we're behind you. We're praying for you. In fact, a whole bunch of churches had found out about it, and they just started praying for me. Now, what was amazing about that day, this has been a few days now since the accident. Up until this point, I could feel nothing. But that morning I woke up to go for my, my surgery, I began to get this itch beneath my skin, but I couldn't get to it. So we drove up to Portland, Oregon, and I'm sitting there in the pre-op room, and they actually got one of the nation's best surgeons on 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 this field, um, he looked at my case and he said, I'll take it. He comes in, he examines me, walks out. Comes in with two other doctors. They talk to each other, they look at me, and then they walk out. Then the surgeon comes in with a whole bunch of medical students and he said, do you mind if they all come and feel your face? Sure have at it. So they all lined up and they started feeling my face. Then they all walked out. I'm just sitting there. And then finally the surgeon comes in and he says, John, walk with me. So we go out and there it was. All those pictures from the CAT scan up on the board all lit up and he takes me through one by one and he explains, now this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to raise your this part of your skull that caved in, we're going to have to bring it back up and we're going to have to seal your skull on three different points with titanium plates. 
but you will end up with a permanent troop. And there is no guarantee that you'll go, that you'll have your feeling back, and there is no guarantee that you'll be able to maintain vision out of your right eye. And he said, that is what we would have to do if we had to operate. He said, we don't know what's going on, John, but your bones are moving by themselves back into place. We don't know what's going on. But the compression, the bones are moving back and they're all fitting back exactly where they're supposed to be. John, you don't need surgery. I, and, but he said, but there's still, because my face was still bloated, and he said, but there is no guarantee that you'll, um, that you won't have a droop. And so he said, here's what I can do. I can minimize the droop by doing some cosmetic surgery, and I could put some silicone on different areas of your face just to add some form and balance. But God gave me the gift of faith at that moment, and I looked at the doctor, and I said, you know what? That's okay. I know I'm going to be okay. And he said, look, I got to go on a speaking thing. So if I'm going to do the surgery, we've got to do it tomorrow. And I said, I'm going to be okay. I know I'm going to be okay. I got all my feeling back on my, the right side of my face. Zero droop. And my vision is 20-20. After, I had, after all this happened, I had shared the story at a church a young girl came up to me with a permanent droop on the right side of her face. And she came to me and said, Pastor John, when I heard what you shared about your, of, of your fractures, I was in a car accident, and I had almost the identical same breakage that you had. And she said, after eight surgeries, this is the best the doctors could do for me. And she said, but I'm not telling you this so you'll feel bad for me because God used that car accident to bring me to Jesus. But I'm telling you this because I want you to know that what happened to you is a miracle. And then later I went down to Southern California. I was still up in Oregon. I'd gone down to Southern California and I was dealing with some with some sinus deals because of allergies. And so I went into a clinic and they took some pictures and the doctor happened to be a Christian. And she came back with the x-ray of, of my, my skull and apparently you could still see the